The following is an exclusive presentation of 680 WPTF and Applied Vision Works. This is the Building a Leadership Culture podcast, hosted by President of Applied Vision Works, Don Hadley. An in-depth look at how Don and his team help businesses reach their long-term goals. Here's the host of the Building a Leadership podcast, Don Hadley. This is Don Hadley, President of Applied Vision Works. We're here with Building a Leadership Culture podcast. I have as our guest, Chip Green. He's been in business, I believe, at least 35 years or so, haven't you? 30 years on my own. 30 years on your own. So five years uh, living off of somebody else's nickel and uh, <laughs> causing them stress and risk. Exactly. Okay. In the time I've known you, it's been interesting watching you both in your business, but also as president of National PHCC, you're responsible for a vision and a future. And I know that was a great learning experience to you. So I guess today, as we talk through what you've learned over the years, is I want you to draw on all experiences. You're also a husband, a father. You've got two great kids, a wonderful wife. And I guess part of my experience has been that leadership and a family and a business and association, there's a lot of things in common within those different groups. So there is. I was, my tenure is, I was in 2016, I was president of the uh, National Plumbing, Heating, Cooling Contractors Association. That experience was a little different in the sense that I was in charge of setting the direction for the association. And then basically we had staff that their job was to figure out how to get us there, which was a lot different than running my own business where it's my idea, and then I have to come up with how we're going to get there. So that was a a unique dynamic that I I took away from my year as president, that much like leading a large organization, I kind of get how these guys, uh, GE and those guys, you know, they say, this is where we want to go, and y'all figure out how to get us there. So was this kind of your first experience with having those two pieces broken apart? Yes, it was. And uh, it's, uh, it's really different. I noticed you kind of brought that into your own business today you talked about having a meeting and you wanted your team of people. There's six other people in addition to you. Your leadership team break the what separate from the how or break the direction separate from how you do it. So tell me a little bit about that. So we're contractors and we get caught up really easy in all of the nitty gritty of what we do every day. The, you know, which fitting do we use and which type of systems do we use and that type thing. And so I told you that I was trying, I felt like we were at the point where we could, this team needed to think about where we want to go. And then we're not going to get into how we're going to get there. We did not talk about that today. All we wanted to know was where do we want to go and that, you know, based on what we're good at. And not just where you're going to go, but also we were looking out three to five years. That's right. Is there a reason why we're going three to five years and not just a year out or so? Because I was trying, I'm trying to get my leadership team to, to think on a higher level. And so, so if I could get them to think three to five years out, there's a lot of things that we might want to do that are going to take longer than a year to get done. So if they had a three to five year window to figure out how we get from point A to point B, then they would be more likely to think about that that's something that they would want us to do. So some of this learning you've had, you know, 2016 PHCC president has been newer. If you go back, let's say 30 years, you've owned your own business. What's been the most surprising things that have occurred over the years, maybe from a leadership perspective? Imagine when you started, you were just like a duck, just paddling as fast as you could. I I make the the comment all the time that uh, in the last five years or so, I've become the old guy. 
<laughs> uh, I tell people all the time, I go to a job site and I, I, I get all this uh, uh, respect and and, uh, and comments like, well, you've been around a while, you know how this works. and But I didn't actually go out and learn that. You know, I, and it was it's not intentional, so it's, it's kind of a, a weird dynamic for somebody to think of me as the old guy when I really don't think of me as the old guy. <laughs> but we look different when we look in the mirror, don't we? Yeah. It's a little bit scary sometimes. Who's that guy looking back? He's got that gray hair. There's no way. So starting out, though, what did you learn? What most surprised you? Your dad was in business. And so you worked for him for a bit, correct? Right. My dad was in business for about 35 years, and I worked for him in high school in my first two years of college. And then when I went in business, he was my business partner. And uh, I dare not take credit for a lot of what I know. Uh, I learned from my father. He was a great businessman, a great mentor, and uh, taught me an awful lot. He taught me mainly about the business side of things. I, I was a project manager and estimator when I was working for somebody else. And now, you know, I'm a business owner and I had to learn the business side of contracting. And much to my chagrin, I didn't know anything about that compared to what my father educated me with. So, uh, so I had to learn what jobs fit, what what jobs don't fit? What jobs constitute a higher risk versus in a, in, which means a higher reward? So you did it with a higher margin. Right. Due to whatever factor, the environment or the schedule or whatever. So uh, that was the biggest, probably the biggest learning thing that I didn't know was understanding what type of job, what job's worth really getting really tight on and a low margin versus what jobs you will do it, but you get you got to get paid for it. And if you can't get the margin that you want for that particular type of job, then that's not a job that you want to do. So you had your dad around that was a mentor. I know you've mentioned a number of other mentors for me. Well, my old boss in the six and a half years that I worked for them was also a great mentor because to me, he had... And they were another family business, right? Yes, they were. It was okay. a family mechanical contracting business that had been around since uh, 48. And he taught me the negotiating and relationship side of being in business, as well as having the technical knowledge to know, you know the nuts and bolts of the business. It's a balance because there's a lot of people that are really good people people, but aren't too good at the technical side of the business. And then you got other people who are really good technical guys, but you don't want them talking to anybody. So it was a it was an interesting balance. So it sounds like you've had to develop kind of both sides of it. You do. And in my personal opinion, to be successful in the contracting business, you have to be good at both sides. You can't just be really good at the technical side because then you can't talk to anybody and you can't talk all the technical stuff to someone who perhaps is not in the same line of work that you are. So as I'm listening to you, one of the things we first talked about was differentiating Three to five years, what the how the goal from the how you're going to do it. You think it's good to get the team involved, the staff to help develop that how. It sounds also like it's important to determine the risk of a project because then you can figure out the margin you need to attach to it to make it worth it. The third thing was kind of, you know, be able to learn the people side and the technical side, be able to negotiate, work with the human element, but also understand how a job operates. As you look back at your career, what was maybe the toughest period in business for you? I, you know, as I think back, you know, things are different now with some of the COVID 2008. 
2008 was challenging, 01, et cetera. What, what's what maybe the most challenging period in business for you, and why was it, and what did you do about it? Well, I probably had two major challenge periods in business. Number one was starting out, put up $100,000 to go in business, and we lost $72,000 of that investment our first year in business. Wow, that's huge. Now, your dad was in partnership with you? Yes, he was. Okay. And his advice to me was, is, you know, there's, son, there's easier ways to make a living. <laughs> Uh, and, and when he said that to you, what did you think? I thought about it, but I said, this is what I want to do. So you really made a commitment, it sounds like. I did. You know, I, Was he trying to talk you out of it, or what was he doing? I think he was just trying to get me to make sure that I understood that just because I had worked in the contracting business didn't mean that I had to be a contractor. And did, did he expect to lose that money the first year? Was he upset, surprised? He was not happy. Okay. And we had lots of conversations about overhead pieces, you know, because he was all about, you know, if you if you get the thing down to where the very basic that you can afford, then that's what you work off of. And then you grow from, from that aspect. And so he was always questioning me about, do you really need this? Or the biggest argument we had was about three phone lines. I had, <laughs> I had two voice lines and a dedicated fax line, and he argued with me for two or three years Oh wow! about a dedicated fax line because he didn't understand. Because it was new at that Fax time. was new. This was okay. 1990. Fax was new, and, uh, and uh, I finally convinced him why we needed it, <laughs> but it was it was an ongoing challenge. So I, I wonder, you and I, two theoretically old guys in business, what are we arguing that's new that actually we ought to be jumping out and doing? I think it's interesting, doesn't it? Several people on my team are 15 to 20 years younger than me, and we have those similar conversations around here, too. So, well, it's good to have the debate because it really does test the idea. And then, so the first year in business was very tough. Did did you question you would make it? Um, I assume he was the money guy. You were more the. We actually, uh, well, yeah, he was kind of the money guy. I mean, I put up 51% of the capital and he put up 49% of the capital. My capital, part of my capital came from his ability to help me with some things. But uh, I did question it. But, you know, it began to come together after about a year, a year and a half. What were you learning? How was it different that second year? I had gone in with initially with another partner and with the caveat that. They had some jobs already on the book. We could piggyback. It didn't work out after six months. And so they started from scratch. Wow. Okay. So I had no jobs and I was in a much smaller market jobs compared to what I had been doing with the family business that I worked for before. So I had to develop a new customer base as well. So you really had some experience Project managing, estimating, but not that market fresh brand new. Right. I mean, I had experience with, with my dad, and we were looking at same of the, some of the similar jobs that he did. I had to learn you know, who the players were. and So, so I, when I talk to you now, I find it interesting because you've got all these relationships. You're a natural relationship builder. Um, I don't look at you as a sales guy at all. You're someone that gets to know a potential customer. As you get to know them, you help figure out what they need. To me, it's a very full relationship. Did you know how to do that back then? Did your dad do it for you? How did you develop that? Or or did you just naturally do it? I think I just naturally did it. I tell people all the time, I am not a salesman. I I work. 
I, I, the, the way I sell is, is I show people what we can do. Other than that, that's it. We, we really work hard to establish relationships with our customers. We, we've all heard the sayings, you know, it takes 10 customers or whatever to get new in the door to replace one lost customer or something to that effect. So um, better to get them and keep them than lose them. Exactly. So, And I think that that was the other difficult time in my business is uh, pre-recession, we had Gold, you said pre-recession 2008? 2008. Okay. We had experienced a, a growth spurt, and we were doing some larger projects, and our revenue was up, and we had outgrown some of our customers. Okay. And so I was of the opinion that we needed to, to play on a higher level with some bigger clients. And so we started down that road. Was this in 07 before the? Yes. Okay. And then uh, we had a job that went south with a larger client who had much deeper pockets than we did. And it, we took a very serious um, hit. Now your dad wasn't around at that time. My dad had already passed away by the The whole burden of the business was on you. Yes. Okay. And uh, there was no relationship there. It was basically, we took a hit. And this is your share. Wow. Okay. And you're welcome to fight us in court. <laughs> and Ugh. which I thought about, ran that up the flagpole, and it was going to cost me just a off the cuff cost of what he thought it would take to fight it was equal to the money that I was trying to recover. So even if you won, you kind of would have lost, so to speak. Right. And his comment was, that's assuming that they cooperate. And that was the end of that conversation gotcha. because there was no way they were going to cooperate. So those were two tough times. Um, did you think in 08 you wouldn't make it through all that? or No, I just had to rethink who we wanted to work for. And okay. that's when I, I really realized that we had to work for people that we could have a relationship with. As I told my team, I had to be able to work for somebody that at the end of the day, mm-hmm. if we could not agree that I could sit down with the decision maker across the table and come to some kind of agreement, that was the new litmus test for who we were going to work for. And it sounds like you've had a wonderful set of experiences since then. In fact, it, I find it interesting because it seems like now that people bring you kind of thirty naughty problems and you help them think through, figure it out, and actually go at it a better way is what it sounds like. Well, we try to do that. And uh, we try to approach a project from, you know, this is what it's going to take to do it rather than looking for all the flaws in the job at the beginning and, and trying to expose those or take advantage of them. Just not really who we are. So what so is there a story, an example of a situation where you saw, hey, if we go at it this way, it's going to be a lot better for everybody, be a lot better for the client? Uh, I can't think of any that come to mind. We've uh, we did. We've done a charter school. Uh, here in town, and we did have a situation where it, it was done in four distinct phases over okay. four distinct school years. Okay, and when we initially were on the job, we were we were just a subcontractor that was hired to put in what was drawn on a set of documents. Okay, and we were only privy to what was being done for that particular phase. Okay, so then we were hired to do the next phase, and at that time we were privy to what was the grand plan for the entire school. And what it did is it helped us lead the client to say, since we're here to keep from going back into this area, you should do this. Or since you know you're going to 
develop this space later and we've got to come right by here. Let's allow a place to hook onto for two years down the road or however long it's going to be. And it worked. It wow. absolutely saved us from later on when we went to phase three and later at the end of phase four, we said, okay, we plan for that. You, do, you go here. And we were, by then we were doing a design deal. So we, the, we had control of the engineer. Okay. He was working for us and not that we were given instruction, so to speak, but it allowed us to, to guide the process. So if you're privy to a bigger picture and given access like this, <clears throat> as well as control, Sounds like you can really find some efficiencies and fixes that are a lot more effective. I am a, you won't find any more bigger proponent than Green Associates when it comes to being involved as a team and having input into the design. It allows for so many things to be seen up front and problems headed off. Are you kind of the main one doing this or do you involve your team or how deep through your organization do you? It's primarily been me, but we are starting to to be able to to spread the wealth, I guess you'd say. Um, I've got one project manager in particular uh, who's been involved with two or three design build or design assist okay. type projects. And who's that? It's Michael. Michael. Because he's been with you a number of years. Michael's been here six Almost seven years, I think. Wow. Okay, great. So you had a little bit of a mini-me, so to speak, on that side of things. Uh, on that side. Yeah. Uh, he's been, and he's seen pitfalls of what you can, you know, the landmines that you have to look yeah. out for. Yeah. So. And we've talked mainly new construction, but you've also got a service division, which we, seems like that's integral to your strategy and approach and customer service. We have. We feel like that our service division is a little unique in the sense that it's almost integral to what we do. We, we do have service jobs and we do have new construction jobs, but we do have a lot of projects where we need the service division to help us accomplish something. For instance, on the plumbing side, uh, we have a, an architect that always requires us to, to do a video survey of the underground plumbing system at the end of the project. Where we have a service division that that's what they do. Okay. And then on the air conditioning side, we have to remove a unit and it's got refrigerant in it and we can use our service division to to reclaim the refrigerant and do that properly per the EPA standards. And then also to help us on the backside with any warranty issues that we have during the first year warranty after we've completed. So I guess there's two things I'm pulling out of this. One is by having a new construction and service, it gives better service to customers because they can get both sides. But from a business point of view, from a leadership point of view, it probably makes your business more stable because you've got a stream of service revenue that's more consistent. New construction probably flows more with the economy, I would think. Or is it different for you? You're in Macon. You're not in Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, it's no secret that the, con the new construction, you know, drives the train. But the reason that I want a service division is to complete the customer experience. If we do a great job of building something and then the unit doesn't work for the first year or doesn't work consistently, then it doesn't matter how great a job that we did building it, the customer's left with a bad experience. Okay. So the whole idea was is we got a service vision so that we can take care of the customer during the warranty period so that he remembers the positive experience that he had. The warranty's typically a year, right? Yes. Okay. So, And then we charged our service vision with capturing that client as a permanent service client. We hope 
for many years going forward. So that's that's our whole. And then when they need to replace the unit or whatever, you're there to do that. So that's right. It's almost like you're there for the whole customer life cycle. That's what we hope to do. That's our that's our goal. And we do a lot of higher ed work and other type projects that they have their own facilities, maintenance people. Okay. But at the same time, they they need us from time to time. So the other thing, and again, I know this partly just from experience with you. You've built a team of people. You mentioned Michael, but you've got a number of other people on the team that provide different perspectives, different ages, different experience levels, different focus. So tell me a little bit about the team that you've built here that not only helps support you, but supports the customers, the strategy, the people in the field, the office. What, tell me a little about that team. Well, so we, our team is made up primarily of our, our senior management. We have a project manager, estimator, service manager, bookkeeper, and then a operations assistant slash uh, human resources person, and then our general superintendent. That's who makes up the team. And uh, some of them are young, mid-30s. Some are closer to my age, which is mid-50s. But the idea is, is that I don't have to be here all the time and that I don't have to make all the decisions. And a lot of them have been here a long time. So good or bad, they know how I think. Hey, have they been able, because to me, it seems like you've asked them to step up to a different level doing this. Is that been easy, hard? What's been kind of the, the flight path? If there's another leader in the audience who's trying to develop their team, what expectation would you set almost based on your experience? Well, I had one tell me the other day that they were involved in a discussion that was below my pay grade. <laughs> and I, I like that. That is good. That is good. You know, my general superintendent, who has just moved into that role, has really taken hold of the... And that's Jesse, right? That's <clears throat> Jesse. He's taken the responsibility that every project is his responsibility as far as making sure that he's got right number of people on the project, the right kind of personal project that they're doing what they're supposed to, they're, they're producing what they're supposed to, they're getting the resources that they need to accomplish the project. And that's been a breath of fresh air because we all need accountability and we all get lost in whatever we're doing and fail to pay attention to something that perhaps needs some attention. So he kind of, he holds the field accountable and he holds management accountable to make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to so that the field can do what they're supposed to. It's been fun watching him. It seems like the last six months, he just has blossomed, has new life in him and really enjoying the new role. He has. He's also seen some new uh, new sides of things. <laughs> I think his biggest challenge has been dealing with personnel. I mean, he's he's been on projects where he's managed multiple people, but now he has to manage his peers to an extent Yeah, and, and sometimes has to have hard conversations about either what they're doing or what they're not doing, and he's never had to really do that before, but he's doing very well. Well, he seems like a wonderful young guy that has great work ethic, and I find that as you know, I look out there at the world, people say, oh, young people don't have work ethic. I tell you, some people like him do have work ethic and do work hard, can make a big difference, and they have ambition to grow and develop over the years, too. Well, like me, his father was also in this industry for 35 or 40 years and he worked for me in that same role up until last year and he shared with his son you know a lot of his knowledge especially the skill set he's a great problem solver when it comes to you know i've got this big item that i've got to get from point a to point b and i'm not real sure <laughs> how to do it 
and you tell Jesse, help me figure that out. And he's, he's all over it and pursues it until he solves the problem. So let me, there's a member of your, uh, I consider member of your leadership team you haven't brought up and, and maybe you don't want to talk about him, but I think of Mrs. Green. So as you've been through the tough things in life, if you, as you've had years of magnificent business and personal success, tell me a, a little bit, if you don't mind about her role in your family, business, etc. just because y'all. Well, we're coming up on our 36th anniversary of being married. <laughs> wow, that's impressive. And I think that our success, this business is demanding of your time. And I knew that from early on in my career. Mm-hmm. I, I understood that working in the contract business took a lot of time. And all I did was just share that with her. Okay. And did she have a small family business background at all? No, or? she did not. Well, okay. I take that. Her father worked for her for a family business. Okay. But he was he was an employee. He was not. So he didn't have the whole burden on him. He didn't have the whole burden okay. on him, even though he had a high level of responsibility mm-hmm. within the organization. But so I just made it clear to her that, you know, it took a lot of hours to, to do the career that I was going into. And her only comment to me was, if you can do it from home and we can see you, then that's all we ask. Wow, that's neat. And so that has kind of been the rule of thumb throughout my whole career is, is I work hard during the day. And if I can't finish what I need to in time for supper, so to speak, <laughs> then I know that I can take something home and work on it for an hour or two. And she's okay with it because at least I'm there. That's wonderful. And then this other side of the equation is she says that she is the one who makes me leave the business to get away, vacation or a trip or whatever. And I have let her pursue that. And even though in my mind I couldn't take off, she has shown me that I can be gone. <laughs> And that everything's okay and that I can experience new things. So I'm I'm eternally grateful for her passion for wanting to travel. And I'm also grateful that she's a great wife and a great partner. And she's listened to more tales of what goes on at Grand and Associates day in and day out. But uh and she's always got an, a, not an opinion, but a, an aspect of a way of looking at it that's different because she doesn't work in the business. Well, from what I've seen of the two of y'all interacting, she seems not just a good touchstone to, to bring you back to the foundation, if you will, of living, but also she asks great questions and gives good feedback on different situations that you may not get elsewhere, partly because she knows you, but also partly because she's at a distance. So to me, the partnership that you have seemed to be very unique and wonderful. So there was a point, I guess I'd been in business about six or seven years and I was really frustrated. Hmm. And so we had gone out on date night one night and uh, and we were sitting there. I said, I'm not so sure I want to be in business anymore. I think I might want to go do something else. And she looked at me and said, like what? <laughs> what else do you know? <laughs> And so by then I was in, I don't know, been in the mechanical contracting field for about 15 years and she was right. Uh, That's me. That was all I knew. So yes. (laughs) (laughs) The voice of reason. (laughs) The voice of reason. So kind of as we start drawing this to a conclusion as you, if, if you were talking either to perhaps a listener that's maybe in business, frustrated, things aren't going well, or maybe it's someone newer in business or considering getting into a contractor or any other business. What are two, three, four things you would recommend that they do keep in mind that could be an attitude, a habit, an action, or something they need to understand? What are 
two or three words or, or elements of advice would you give them? Number one is know who your who your clients are, your key clients, and focus on them. I mean, it's when work is plentiful, it's easy to to chase whatever nice project is is available at that time. But we've got to maintain the long-standing relationships that we've developed over the years and keep those clients at the forefront. And then I think the other thing is is to be conscious of what you're good at and focus on that. A lot of times, you know, we say, well, this is a really nice project and oh, it was look, you know, be a great resume type builder and all of that. But at the end of the day, we have to make money to continue to exist in business. And in order to do that, we have to know what we're good at and focus on that. And then the things that we aren't good at, then perhaps we don't focus as hard on that. So I think those are the, the two main things that I would say that it's important. And then uh, and then my father was a uh, thing that taught me was uh, cash. He, he, he was a believer in having plenty of capital so that you can be prompt on paying your bills. His comment to me one time was, instead of seeing how long you can wait to pay your vendors, see how quick you can pay them. Oh, that's neat. That's a and his reasoning for that was you can leverage that to get a favor or get better terms when you need them. Nice. Not a not a beat them up type thing, but just to and it's worked. I will attest one hundred percent to. I am a if there's a discount available on an invoice, <laughs> You're we're, we're all over it. <laughs> What would Miss Green say if she was going to give a bit of advice on the personal side to somebody that's in business? I think she would say to make sure that um, she don't lose sight of family. That you know, there there has to be a time where you leave it. I think that's what she would say. She she's all about work ethic. She understands a job is demanding. She also understands that sometimes it's not as demanding as it is at other times. And when those times come, that you should take advantage of them and be at home. Thank you very much for being with us. Before we go, though, is if I'm a potential customer that's got some messy problem that needs help. I know you do work mainly in the state of Georgia. Would you take a call from Tennessee or Florida or mainly just want to stick with Georgia? We are licensed only in Georgia. Okay. Uh, and the only exception to that is, is some federal projects you're not bound by, um, by, the state. by the states, but uh, we primarily stay in central and south Georgia. So uh, if you have a project south of Atlanta, you can call us and get in, reach us, and we would love to talk to you. My email is cgreen at g-a-i-n-c.com. Um, what if I'm an employee or maybe I don't have experience in this trade, but would like to maybe get involved in a business where I get to see a broader range and perhaps move up through the years and is you willing to take calls, emails on that basis? Absolutely. There is definitely a shortage of skilled help for this industry. And there is a wide and broad opportunity for uh, someone who likes to work with their hands and perhaps is not somebody that wants to go to college that they would rather work, that uh, they can come in, begin to learn the trade. We've got a formal apprenticeship program that they can go through, and after four years, they should have enough training to be able to, to uh, get licensed in either air conditioning or plumbing. So um, we encourage anybody and everybody who might want an opportunity to get into the plumbing and air conditioning fields. So this is Don Hadley, president of Applied Vision Works on building a leadership culture podcast. We've written a number of books, podcasts like this, written numerous white papers. We'd love to hear from you if you'd like to chat about a challenge you have or trying to get to the next level 
Uh, my email is dhadley at appliedvisionworks.com. My cell phone is 919-368-9008. Thank you. You've been listening to the Building a Leadership Culture podcast, hosted by Don Hadley, owner and president of Applied Vision Works. Questions, concerns? Please email Craig Chase at cchase at appliedvisionworks.com or call 800-786-4332. This has been an exclusive presentation of 680 WPTF and Applied Vision Works.